welcome to the Cornerstone Young Adults podcast channel. Our desire is to boldly declare God's word and to encourage today's leaders to authentically live for Jesus Christ. To stay connected with us, feel free to like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at cstone underscore YA. Please enjoy today's message. We're going to be talking about, I know you've been talking about marriage truths and myths, and I want to continue that. But let me tell you, and I know that this is, I just want to give thanks to God because I am so blessed. Are you? Okay, this side is blessed right here. Is this side got any blessing that God has showered and just lavished upon you? I, we, we, can't, we can't contain it. I know we don't have a time. This isn't the, necessarily the setting to be able to articulate that. But I married my dream girl. Yeah, I did. I married my dream girl, and she is here sitting on the front row. Give it up to Marlene. And I'm not, I don't have time to tell all of my story, but I do want to kind of give you a little backdrop as to what we're going to talk about tonight because it ties into this idea of marriage truths and, and the myths that happen because for myself, I've never seen my father. My mom was an alcoholic. And so I did not have uh, maybe what some of you had as a, as a great role model of marriage uh, maybe a, a loving father or the, the show, the proper show of affection of, of a mother and a father and a home. And I, I didn't have that. And so that shaped a lot of what I saw or the neglect or the lack thereof in what uh, I believe should be the proper uh, love and, and affection and things like that. But my wife comes from a totally different, I came from the other side of the tracks. You know what I'm talking about? And my wife, a totally opposite way better, so far above me. I am so, she is so far out of my league. That's why I'm talking about how blessed I am because my wife comes from a pastor's home. My wife comes from a mother and a father who have been married, I believe, 60 years. I think they celebrated um, pretty close to that. And uh, they are my, they have, are my parents. I, I love them. I don't have in-law jokes I, I, don't, I don't have that because they are amazing. And so she had that amazing model before. So we come, just like many of you, we come from all different backgrounds, and we bring all of that into our relationships. We bring all of that into not only our relationships with one another, but our relationship with God. So we bring these realities. We bring these truths. We bring these myths. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm just a, if you get to know me, I'm just a tell it like it is kind of person. Um, you ask my opinion, I'm going to share my opinion. Hopefully I do it in a kind way. But I can, I can tell you this. When I gave my heart uh, uh, to the Lord when I was 12 years old, and then I got filled with the Holy Spirit at 14, and I got called into the ministry my junior in high school, um, I did not, at that point, I did not date anybody all through high school uh, because I, I knew that God had set apart somebody for me. And I had dedicated that I was going to wait and I was going to, the person that I was going to marry was the person that I was going to date. But I got to be honest with you, probably like some of you may not want to admit, I, I prayed many times, Jesus, please do not let the rapture take place until after my honeymoon. Has anybody ever prayed that? Okay, this side seems to be a little bit more holy, a little bit more maybe honest, 
This side, I'm not really sure. Maybe you're still trying to figure out what in the world is this guy doing. But that, that was important. That was significant because all of a sudden I experienced this love that came and modeled from Jesus, a love that touched my life. And, and I, as I started diving in to the word of God, all of a sudden I realized there is real love. There is true love. And I know that February is kind of this time, and obviously there's, if you do a quick search on Amazon, there's 151,000 books on marriage, 27,000 books on dating, 12,000 books on attraction, and 190,000 books on sex. It's just, it's, it's just way it is. It's our culture. I love what Matt Chandler says, a great pastor uh, in the Dallas area. The longing in a single person's heart for a wife or a husband finds its roots in God's glory. And you got to go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. This isn't our text, but this is where it all starts. Not just in, in, at the beginning for everything, but it's where it starts in the idea of uh, this marriage thing, of this truth, and all of those kinds of things. So uh, you may know that in creation begins, uh, and thank you, ladies, that uh, you know God created and he did all of these things. But in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord, in verse 7, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, uh, this is important as we set the foundation for what we're going to talk about, because if you are aware of the creation story, you know that God did all these things, he, he made all of these things, and then he created man. But it doesn't just end there, and if you go on for the next few verses, he creates man, and then he gives him an assignment. He says, start working. Start naming. Name the rhinoceros. Name the baboon. Go through all of these things. He put them to work and then jump down to verse uh, 18. He says, the Lord, after he did all that, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, where are all my single guys? Aren't, aren't you saying the same thing? It is not good for me to be alone. Okay. I mean, I, I guess I was a little bit more passionate uh, when I was single and looking. But, okay, how about my ladies? It applies to you as well. The ladies, it is not good, right? That's what I'm talking about. So, so God is aware. He understands what is happening. But check this out. If you go down to verse 21, it says that Adam had no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman, hello ladies, from the rib, he, take, he took out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they will become one. And I just like this last part. And Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. Oh, yeah. It just, I mean, I, I just love the Bible. I, it, just, it just tells it like it is. But now, why is this so important? Because what we need to understand is that it sets the backdrop because notice that God creates Adam and then he makes him wait. Why would God do that? 
I believe that God did that because God wanted to say, hey, Adam, you need to learn to cherish Eve. So I'm going to make you wait a little bit. And sometimes waiting is not fun. Sometimes waiting, is, I mean, if, especially waiting and waiting and waiting. And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. It's no fun, but guess what? God's not surprised by that. He knows where you are. He knows what's happening. He knows what is taking place in somebody else's life as you are preparing because you and I were created by God and for God because he woke up to God. That's what's so critical. And going on from there, that's where it all begins. And in the next chapter, all of a sudden, then man and woman, we got in the way. And we messed up. And they made some choices. But it leads us to Jesus. And that is the good news. Because even though while he woke up to God, he was created for God. And then as he made him wait for Eve, all of a sudden they came together. But it wasn't perfect anymore because of the choices that they made. But then Jesus made everything right. And so as a result of that, Jesus gives us some outlines. He, he helps us along the way, not only through Genesis, but all the way through the rest of the Bible, that I want us to look at some of these truths. But before we do that, I want to look at some myths. As Pastor Michael mentioned, uh, my wife and I, we, we work with students and young adults regularly. Matter of fact, uh, we have three kids. I'll talk about them in just a few moments of our, our, our own kids. But we have a school of ministry that we lead. We have 10 students with that. And out of those, we have three additional guys, college guys, that have invaded our basement. They took over my man cave. They, 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 they own that place. And I, I, last week as I was preparing um, I asked them, I said, hey, and they're all in the same age group as you. you know, they're young adults and they're single. I said, from your perspective, what are some marriage myths? And so this is fresh, hot off the press from some people just like you. And I'm just going to kind of go through these. I could go, you know, you can give a shout if it's one of the things you were thinking about. But uh, think about this. They said that the, the myth would be that guys will know how to clean. I'm just telling you that's what they said. And the guy said that the girls will know how to cook. That the wife will decide to be a stay-at-home mom or not. That all the problems will go away and there will be no fighting after you get married. These are just the myths. That pornography or lust will decrease when you get married. That everyone will be happy for you after you say, I do. And that you aren't marrying the other person's family, and that the honeymoon is all about sex. And when we're married, we'll have sex seven days a week and three times a day as a married couple. I didn't come up with these. I'm just telling. Now, I thought it, but I didn't come up with it. That's what they said. And that movies and books and TV shows, YouTube, all of those types of things model what sex is really like. And then this one is probably a little bit closer to home. Once we live together after marriage, everything will be perfect, living in the land of rainbows, unicorns, and Skittles. All kinds of myths. And I know that in a room like this, with all of the backgrounds and all of the things that you have experienced, you have your myths. But those myths are not what I want to focus on tonight. 
I want to focus on a couple of truths that I believe that I have witnessed firsthand from Scripture, that I see all throughout the entire Scripture, but also that has been very evident, not only in our own life, but as we have had the privilege and the honor to be uh, around so many incredibly godly role models and, and conversations and watching. I believe that modeling is the greatest form of teaching. So many times it's not about what you're going to say, but it's who, how you're going to live. How are you going to model that? And So the first truth that I want to look at tonight is that I believe that God created marriage with simple math. Now what does that mean? I believe that it's really simple, that we should make Jesus our number one while we make our spouse number two. Now, Matthew chapter 22, it's a, it's a very familiar uh, passage that you have read before, but in Matthew chapter 22, uh, somebody approached Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we think about this, I think it's really important that uh, as you get to that point, if God would, uh, would allow that to where you get to a point of marriage and you start a family, that you're going to have an opportunity to leave an incredible legacy. If that is kids or adoption, whatever that may be, but the opportunity that you will have, it will humble you. When I think about where I came from, I mentioned at the beginning, that's why I wanted to start with it because I am incredibly blessed. How is it that in God's infinite grace that he would choose to allow someone like me to find someone like her, put us together, and then change the course of my cycle, what has been modeled and lived out before me through our kids? Extremely humbling. But it doesn't just happen. Because you see, why we started at the beginning in Genesis and why we see this, all of our meaning, all of our identity, all of the purpose, all of the value, it's all going to come through a relationship with God, not the other individual. And so often what happens is, and it's, it's natural to some extent, I did it in some extent. Some of you are doing the same thing. We are searching and we are searching and we are hoping and believing, and that's great. But a lot of times we think that the problems, the challenges, some of those myths that we talked about are all going to be wiped away once we say I do because we are looking for fulfillment in that other person. And it's not going to happen. God is the only one who can fulfill you. I'm not trying to be ultra super spiritual or the, the super pastor that, oh, why does it always come back to Jesus? Why does it always come back to the Word? Well, it always comes back to Jesus. It always comes back to the Word. It's not about popular opinion. It's not about what you want. It's not about your like. It's not about your preferences. But God is saying from the very beginning, make Him your number one and everything else will be taken care of. If you're not getting your source, if you're not getting your, your breath, if you're not getting your fulfillment from Him on a daily basis, then what's going to happen is you are going to encounter people, they are going to suck the life out of you. That is a fact. It doesn't matter if it's a coworker. It doesn't matter if it's a classmate. It could be a family member. Just by, by sheer 
percentages just by sheer personality. And you know how it is. Don't name any names. But you know how it is that there are those people, and I've got a couple of people. I'm not going to name any names. But there's a couple of people, whenever you're around them, they will talk and talk and talk and talk about themselves and about their life and about their thing. And they, I say they corner you. And instead of it being a quick thing, and instead of it being something, they go on and on and on. And I'm just standing there. And they never ask about me. And I'm not saying it's about me, but you know what I'm talking A conversation is two-way. How are you doing? I'm doing great. What's going on? It goes back and forth. But you know those people, and before you know it, it's 10 minutes, and then they're like, oh, yeah, I got to go. And I'm like, hey, nice talking to you. I mean, nice listening to you, bro. I mean, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what happens. But see, then you know what? I use that as an illustration, but it doesn't really bother me because I'm not looking for fulfillment in that. I'm not looking for fulfillment in that way from those people or anybody else. As much as I love my wife, she is my number two. As much as I put her on the pedestal, uh, matter of fact, uh, in, my, in my phone, uh, she is my mocha diva, by the way. Okay? She is my mocha diva because she is a diva and she loves uh, she loves coffee, and she loves chocolate, and she's got a little bit of brown in her as my, my Latina. She's my muy bonita, okay? And so she, she, she is my mocha diva. But you know what? As much as that, I cannot elevate her above my God. I cannot put her higher than Jesus because she did not save me. She does not fulfill me in the same thing is said of you. God is the only one that can change you. I love what Tim Keller says. Marriage is the Mack truck driving through your life, revealing your flaws and humbling your reactions. It's so true. Just by relationships, whether it's marriage or friendships, it's just the nature of the way it is. But when you get into uh, into the dating and the courting or whatever you do, you'll find most of the time there is a kind of a changing that tries to take place. It's kind of natural where you, you start to like that person and, or love that person after a while, and I'll mention this a little bit later, that you know now it's, it's become, well, as, as my wife and I started dating and got married, and then it was like the things that she really liked, now she wanted to start to change. And the things I, that I fell in love with now were there. I'm like, hey, you know, like, why do I have to have 25 pillows on my bed? And then why do I have to, after we leave in the morning, we have to make our bed in just a couple of hours. We're not going to be home all day. In a couple of hours, we're going to be back in there. So I've got to make it, and i got to put all 25 pillows, and they got to be a geometrically and, you know, in shape and in order and all that. I don't understand that. But they don't teach you that in premarital counseling, Right? Or she doesn't understand why I say there's a certain way to load the dishwasher, okay? You got to load it a certain way. You got to put them a certain thing. Certain things don't go here and there because it doesn't get clean. You see, that's just part of it because you're trying to change each other. And no matter how many discussions we would have and you may have of trying to change a person, marriage, the vows, the spouse, willpower will not change us. It's only the power and the Holy Spirit that is going to change us. The first couple of years, 
Uh, we're so fun in so many different ways, but kind of all that changing that we tried to do, and I don't know when it was, but we finally got to the point where we said, I can't change you, that's God's job. And it wasn't a, I give up, and it wasn't that at all. It was just, you know, you do that for a while, and it's like, you know what? We are who we are to a certain extent. So we said, I can't change you, but God, that's God's job. But we also came to the point where we said, I can't fulfill, you can't fulfill me, that's God's job. But I can love you, that's my job. And I believe that as we continue and do something in our life, as we pursue him, it will make all the difference in the world. You see this picture here, and this picture represents my life, and it could also represent your life. And as I spend time in my relationship with the Lord and hearing from him and praying and seeking him, this is what happens. He fills me up. But just like all of us, and this first glass represents my wife. It's the biggest. It's the best. But you see, I pour. I try and be kind. Her, uh, if you've ever studied the love languages, her love language is acts of service. And I call it slaves of service. Because she just likes it if I clean up around the house if I do the dishes, if I mow the yard, I mean, it's just, I could go on and on. All of those things, that's what makes her the happiest. But you see, then I've got my kids, my three kids. My son, Christian, is my oldest, then my daughter, Victoria, and then my youngest son, Justice. And I've got I've to pour out to them. And then I've got, now I've got a new daughter-in-law, which is weird to say. And I have a new son-in-law, which is weird to say. And I've got to give them some time. And then, you know, God has, God has given us a, a ministry. He's given us, you know, responsibilities and all kinds of, of opportunities. And I, I teach. And, I mean, I just, there's all things that all of us do. And some of you are in school. And I'll probably be starting my doctorate in the fall. And, you know, you can go on and on and on. And all throughout the day and all throughout our life. And it's another week and it's another month. And before you know it, and you can just keep adding glasses and glasses and glasses, you see what happens to each of us. We get depleted. And if we look to any of these to do that, oh, it may appear that that's what's taking place, but it's not sustainable. And it's not the source that God has expected, that God has designed it to be, because he has designed to be the source. Who is filling your jug? Who is filling your jug? Because remember, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It, he didn't say, love your spouse. He said, love him. While you are seeking, while you are seeking for your number two, make sure that you put all of your focus, all of your energy, and all of your passion into Jesus. And then I believe that as, he, as you do that, you will become, and it's, got, it's going to take a little work. Work now to become the person that you want to marry. That's number truth number one. Truth number two is the marriage of two individuals pursuing Christ will grow closer together. I want you to think about a triangle. And when I do premarital counseling, 
uh, I, I just draw a simple diagram. And think of a triangle. And I want you to think about that God needs to be at the top of that triangle. But you and that other person are at the bottom of that triangle. You're two separate individuals. That's why in the text that I read uh, in Genesis, it talks about you will leave and cleave. And I can't tell you, when you say I do, leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. I'm just telling you. And that's what happens. But when you do that, what, when we pursue after him, when each individual does that, notice what takes place. Each individual... <clears throat> Each individual is seeking, seeking, and seeking. And notice what happens. They also get closer and closer to each other while they're seeking him. When you establish, when you establish Christ as the centerpiece of your own life, and now all of a sudden when you come together and you make that the focal point of your marriage, it changes everything. Because it involves individual people leaving and cleaving. And there are going to be people that are, are, are all kinds of backgrounds, and, and you're going to have to work through all of that. Um, just like if you're uh, trying to find a house or decorate a house or how you're going to raise kids and all of those things, you've got to make sure that you stay intentional. Intentional in what I, what I told my wife when we were dating, and uh, you know she probably heard it from other people and things like that along the same way. And I told her, I said, look, I am going to do what it took to get you to keep you. What do I mean by that? I meant, and it was, you know, old school. It's probably still old school now, but I'm going to hold the door open for her. I'm going to let her go in first. I'm going to warm up her car. She doesn't know how to put gas in her car because I do that or I make my boys do that. And I prefer her. I mean, I don't do it. I'm not perfect. I, I don't do it all the time, but you see, those things are things that were, were important to me a long time ago, and they're still important to us today because as I find out Jesus, your love, and I try and become more like you, he speaks to me, and he says, you want to do that? Then make sure that you do that to her. There are some marriage killers, and I won't go into all of these really quickly, but seven marriage killers. Let friendship die. Let the romance die hurt each other on purpose. Let issues grow by not talking them out. And I'll just tell you, we have no, no problem talking things out. We will close the door and we will, we will discuss and we will go at it however long we got to do because we are going to get it taken care of and we're going to have let forgiveness. We're going to get done and it, it's going to be awkward. It's going to be painful where there's going to be tears the voices may elevate, but when we're done, we know, we've always known, we love each other, we're committed to each other, and God is going to be at the focal point. Another marriage killer is take your spouse for granted, not taking, making time for your marriage, and when you stop making your spouse's needs a priority. The reality is, if we're not careful, you can drift apart. Time, work, busy, the number one thing that everybody, everybody is busy, but here are a couple of things that can help you as you think about it, and I know some of you may be a little bit farther down the line before this happens, but remember these things, you can do that. When, make sure, do, some, do simple stuff, like your own quiet time, spending time in devotions together, going to church together, small groups together, serving together, getting connected with other couples who are pur pursuing Christ. 
because that is going to be a difference. Seek your number one together with your number two. And I want to, as we get ready, if the worship team wants to go ahead and come back up, be careful what you focus on before. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but a couple of examples. Right now, in the, in the feel-good phase, in the dating phase, it's so easy for him to say, oh, she's so organized, she's so driven, she's so passionate. If you're not careful, after marriage, it can turn into she's a control freak. She wants everything her way. She nags, nags, nags. And ladies, right now you can say, oh, he's so laid back. He's just so chill. But after marriage, it turns into he's a lazy bum. He doesn't do anything around the house. He just plays video games and doesn't do anything for the family. As you are pursuing whatever that looks like, however you are doing that, as you are pursuing, as you are dating, as you are courting, seek first the kingdom. Seek Jesus first. Make him your number one. And I, I would just add that I've, I've noticed over the years, I can't prove this scientifically, but it's been pretty common. The individuals that have been so they want to get in a relationship. They want to get in a relationship. They push and they, you know, they, they try to make it happen. And I, I, I get it. But when they finally get to a place where they say, you know, I finally just said, God, I'm just going to back off in a sense from trying. And then all of a sudden, it's like God just opened up their eyes and he provided that one. Because when we make him number one, while we're searching, while we're waiting, Adam had to wait. But waiting, matter of perspective, can be a great thing because you cherish it that much more. I've said this for years, but I believe that the couple that prays together, plays together, and lays together stays together. And I'm praying that God will smile upon you whenever that may be, whoever that may be. We pray that this message has blessed you. For more information about our ministry, visit sacornerstone.org forward slash college.